Throw that cartoon up on the screen. Some of you can relate to this. The guy's talking to his dog, and his dog says, Welcome back, sir. Are you planning on being our guest for one night only, or would this be your usual extended stay? <laughs> How many of you have ever been in the doghouse? How many of you are currently in the doghouse? Yes. Yeah. How many of you have been there a while? Yeah, you've been there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I saw that cartoon. I just laughed because at some time or another, we all end up there. At some time or another, we all bump into each other. We say things that hurt each other. We do something that offends somebody else. And we end up in the doghouse. But how do you get out of the doghouse? How do you, uh, you know, like this guy in, in standing there with his pillow, how does he make things right with this wife who's staring at him out the window? How, how do you get back into a, a right relationship? Well, that's what I want to talk about today. Now, I'm, I'm going to just give you the disclaimer at the beginning. This is probably going to be one of the most challenging messages for some of you that you've ever heard. Because I'm going to push you to do things that you're really not comfortable with, but are the essential things that really make healthy relationships. You know, in this series, this is the last in the seven-part series we've been doing on seven habits uh, of great relationships. What does it really take to have a healthy, strong relationship? And this one is really important because the, the reality is we're all going to hurt each other along the way. And we've got to know how to make that right. So today, I want to talk about the habit of repentance. The habit of repentance. Now, let's look at the passage of Scripture. If you want to take your sermon outline out. You can track along with me. We'll throw everything up on the screen. By the way, we have Bibles in the pews in front of you. Uh, those are the, new, are the New International Version. If you'd like to read along in those, you're welcome to. If you need a Bible, feel free to take one of those Bibles home. Uh, if you have a friend or someone else that needs a Bible, feel free to take one for them. These are our gift to you. We want you to have the Word of God. I want you to look at the words of Jesus in Matthew and what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. I want you to look at what Jesus says. He says, so if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you. Now, let me stop. Notice what he says. He's not talking about you having something against somebody else. He says, you realize God brings to your attention that you've hurt someone. You've offended someone. You know someone is mad at you for something that you did. If you, you remember that someone has something against you, what are you supposed to do? Leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Read it with me. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come, offer your sacrifice to God. Now, I want to go back to where we began in this series. And, and here's the deal. It is as important to God that we work at having healthy relationships to one another as much as it is us working to have healthy relationship with him. Um, you always go back to the fact that the cross is, is vertical and horizontal, and that's so important. All through Scripture, from the Old Testament to the New, you, you hear the commandment. The, the greatest commandment was to do what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what's the second, which he says is equally important? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Jesus said these two commandments, to love God passionately and fully, to love other people in a healthy way, upon these two commandments, all the other stuff is built. So these two, we have to get right. So I know what you're saying. You're saying, well, okay, Pastor Steve, you know, when you were saying that, I've 
I, I know there's somebody who's upset with me and I need to make it right. I'm not sure I know how to do that. Now, let me just set you free for a second. None of us were given a manual when we entered adulthood on how to do this kind of stuff. You know, we figured out, we, we, we've watched people do it, we've watched our families do it, and, and if we're honest, a lot of us didn't have good models, particularly of this piece, uh, of how to make amends when we've hurt someone or done something wrong. So don't, don't feel left out if you're going, I don't know how to do this. I want to walk you through some stuff, and this is going to be some stuff I really want you to take home, camp on, spend some time with God, and see what he says. Are you ready? Okay, take good notes because you know somebody who needs this. Here we are. Here we go. First thing, first thing we, want, we need to do is this. I think the place to begin is to ask God to give you empathy to go with your apology. To give you empathy to go with your apology. Now, what is empathy? Empathy is feeling what someone else feels. In other words, when you know someone is upset with you, 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 you may not really fully understand it, but this is where you go to God and say, Lord, would you, would you help me see this from their eyes? Would you help me feel what they're going through? Would you help me understand what they're dealing with? Now, this is such a beautiful thing that Jesus modeled for us. Do you remember in John chapter one, when John said, in the beginning was the word, Jesus, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Do you remember what it says? About, I think it's about verse 14 where it says, and the word became flesh, and he lived among us. In other words, this was what we call the incarnation. Jesus stepped out of the divine world and into the human world and experienced what we experience. That's why Hebrews 4 says that calls Jesus our high priest and that he intercedes for us, and he said, we have this high priest who empathizes with us. In other words, when Jesus intercedes, he gets us. He's gone through what we've gone through. He entered our world. Now, that's what I'm asking you to do. Ask God to help you enter the world of the person that you've hurt and ask God to help you help me feel what they feel so I can really understand. Um, Paul, Paul does a great job of, of kind of talking about this in, in Romans 12 when he says, read it with me. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who are mourned. In other words, when, when somebody's happy, what should we do? Be happy with them. You know, be happy with them. Don't be mad because you're not the one rejoicing or you didn't get what they got. You know, rejoice with them. When they're sad, what should you do? You weep with them. You cry with them. You be sad with them. Proverbs says that singing songs to a heavy heart, that's like rubbing salt in a wound. What's he talking about? He says, align your emotions to fit the person that you're coming alongside of. Does this make sense to you? This is what Jesus did for us, and this is what God asks us to do for each other. Now, why is empathy so important? Let me give you three reasons on your outline. <clears throat> First of all, empathy demonstrates sincerity. Empathy demonstrates sincerity. You'll get this. How many of you had siblings growing up? How many of you ever had your parents, uh, you, got, you got into, your sibling did something to you and your parents made your sibling say I'm sorry to you? How many of you ever had that happen? Yeah. Did you believe them? 
Absolutely not. <laughs> that was unanimous. No. Why? Hey, because, because the parents are making them do it. You know, it's like, you, you know, they hurt you. They did something. They took something, whatever it was, and they hurt your feelings. Your parent, your mom drags them in, you know, and says, now, say you're sorry. I don't want to say you're sorry. You say I'm sorry, or I'm going to give you something to be sorry about. You know, you, you know, you know what I'm saying? And so they finally say, I'm sorry. And their mom turns around and they go, mm, you know. And they go, now, is that... Is that a heartfelt apology? You know, were you comforted after they left? No. Why? Because they weren't sincere. Just let this sink in for a second. You see, if, if I've hurt you, what you want to know is, do I really care about that? So when I come to you and I'm asking God to help me feel what you feel, I'm able to say, I am so sorry. I know that really hurt you badly. And I need you to know how much that breaks my heart. You see, when, when you can give a heartfelt apology, it's believable for people and it's comforting to them. Amen? Sure. Secondly, empathy preempts animosity. Sympathy or empathy preempts animosity. If you've ever been angry with someone because they did something and they come to you and they really make a heartfelt apology. You know, they come and, and they're, they're truly empathetic. You can tell they're really broken by what they did or what they said. And, you're, and they're telling you, I am so sorry. I know I hurt you badly. You don't know how bad I feel. I, it, it, it's hard to be angry at people who are being empathetic. So that empathy, it preempts the animosity. Let me say it for you this way. You know what? You don't understand what revenge is. Revenge is me wanting to make you feel how you made me feel. It's me, it's me wanting to make, I'm going to make you feel what I felt. Empathy is me choosing to feel what you feel. And so it, it, it satisfies a, a part of that which people need from us. There was a great article, uh, this was in the Wall Street Journal, talking about a guy by the name of Charles Utley. Uh, he was a, a guy in San Diego who went in for some surgery. And uh, a day uh, after his surgery, he uh, felt a, uh, close to where he, they had, the, had had the incision, he felt this um, elevated place, it was like a lump. And he, he was like, wow, what is this? And uh, he got really concerned because it wasn't there before. And he felt like, wow, this is, you know, it's like infection setting in or, or did something happen? And, and he couldn't understand it. Well, what had happened and they, they, when they examined it, what they discovered was the doctor had left a sponge inside of him. Now, this is what was interesting. This is what the Wall Street Journal says. When doctors make mistakes like this, they customarily refuse to admit it, lest in doing so they're encouraging the patients to sue them. In other words, if I admit I did this, I'm arming your gun so you can, you can go ahead and sue me. So they, they customarily refuse to admit it. It's called defend and deny. But Utley, Charles Utley, doctor, did something astonishing. He told the surgeon, went up to him and said, I was responsible for this, and I am so sorry. I apologize for this. I'll make it right. Utley decided not to sue, explaining, I love this, that his doctor had honored me as a human being. 
Other doctors and hospitals, the journal reported, are, are discovering that an authentic, listen to this, an authentically offered apology does wonders in, in heading off lawsuits. Patients, they're finding, are, can accept the fact that do- doctors are fallible. What infuriates them and drives them to seek revenge and when the, is when the doctors say, sponge, what sponge? I don't remember using a sponge. You, you understand this? In other words, that ownership, that sincerity, that empathy, it preempts the animosity. Lastly, empathy creates connection. Empathy creates connection. Every married couple in the room will get this. Because when you've hurt one another in some way, form, or fashion, when you genuinely own that, and you make amends for that, and you're able to give an apology to, to your spouse that, that truly scratches that itch and, and is really true ownership of what you did. What's interesting is the, the strength of the relationship after that is stronger than even before it ever happened. It creates a connection. Let me give you a second part in making uh, doing repentance that this is gonna be hard for some of us. Real simple. No buts. No buts. I was going to state that, keep your butt out of the way, but I thought that didn't sound right. So let me just say no buts. You're making an apology, no buts, no buts. The, the moment you use the words if or but in an apology, it ceases to be an apology. Um, I, I once again, look at, look at the passage of Scripture as Jesus talked about it in Matthew 7, 5. Look at this first sentence. For, read this out loud with me. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Stop. Read that again. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Some of you are having a hard time with this. Let's stop. Let's read it again. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Keep reading. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Now, this is what happened. So often when we're making an apology or what we think is an apology, we immediately jump to, to want to tell the other person while, why they are wrong, why, why, why they, they've messed up too. In other words, we, we have a hard time just repenting and owning what we've done. We want them to feel as responsible a, as we are. That's why I put this statement on your outline. Repentance is about you owning your stuff, not making them own theirs. Do you get that? I love this. Throw that picture up on the screen for me. Never ruin an apology with an excuse. I, look at me. That picture right there is, the price of, is worth the price of admission today. Never ruin an apology by making an excuse. Because this is what so many of us do. The moment we use the words if or but in an apology, it stops being an apology. Now, let me give you three other things that it is. And you, you can write these somewhere else. I don't have a space on your outline form. But let me give you three. The moment you use the word if and but, it, it, it stops being an apology. For some of us, it becomes a justification. We're justifying. You know, I, I'm sorry, but you know I had a really bad day. I'm sorry, but you know I, you know I get in a mood sometimes. I'm sorry, but you know what kind of traffic I had to deal with. You know how my boss is. Uh, I'm sorry, but you know sometimes I drink too much. Uh, I'm sorry, but you fill in the blank. But it all becomes a way of simply justifying what we've done. And it, it takes the apology out of it. It's no longer owning what we did. It's justifying like somehow this makes this okay. 
The second thing that we do when we use the words if or but is we minimize. We minimize. I'm sorry, but you know I was just kidding. I'm sorry, but you know how sensitive you are. I'm sorry, but you know I love you, you know. Anybody ever hear of these? Okay. I see elbows flying here. I better, I better go over to this side for a while. You know, you know the, the, moment, the moment that we start using if, ifs or buts, we start minimizing. We start saying, you know what? It's no big deal. And that's what we're trying to say. Stop making a mountain out of a molehill. And all we're doing is, is not taking blame for what we've done. The third thing we do, and I just mentioned it, is we use if or buts, we, we use it to blame. We use it to blame. Well, I wouldn't get angry if you wouldn't do that. If you wouldn't have said what you said, then I wouldn't have said what I said. If, if, you, know, if, you, if you would do what I tell you to do, then I wouldn't get upset. And all, all we do, instead of taking responsibility for what we've done, we're passing the blame onto them and making it feel like it's their fault that I acted like an idiot. Amen? Justifying, minimizing, blaming. That's not an apology. No buts. Everybody say that with me. No buts. There you go. <laughs> I'll talk about that later. <laughs> Thirdly, repent because it's the right thing to do, not because of the response you hope to receive. Repent because it's the right thing to do, not because of the response you hope to receive. Boy, don't miss this. Hear my heart. For some of us, making an apology is a subtle form of manipulation. I'm going to say that again. For some of us, making an apology is a subtle form of manipulation. Because it's like, if I say I'm sorry to you, then you can't be mad at me anymore. And so I'm going to give you my apology, but then you're going to take away your, your, your back because you're upset with me. Or, or I'm going to say I'm sorry, and, and that's going to make everything right, and you've got, you got to be nice to me again. Or I'm going to say I'm sorry. And we're, see, you understand the difference? You see, look on your outline. Repentance is a gift, not a gift exchange. Do you get that? Repentance is a gift. Repentance is me offering you a gift of acknowledging what I did was wrong. It's not me coming to you, I'll give you this if you give me that. You gotta let that go. Because sometimes you, you may not get in response what you're wanting. Romans 12, 18 Paul says, read it with me. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now look at me. When I'm talking about repentance, repentance is different from reconciliation. Repentance is a precursor to reconciliation, but reconciliation can only happen if the other person truly receives your repentance and, and agrees to reconcile with you. Now, hey gang, sometimes that doesn't happen or it doesn't happen as quickly as we like, but that's not your responsibility. If it's possible, as long as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. Now, use Pastor Steve, why, why won't I receive that blessing right away? Well, a few reasons on your outline. Sometimes healing and forgiveness 
takes time. Sometimes healing and forgiveness takes time. Come on, it's just us. How many of you have ever had someone come to you and they gave you a heartfelt apology? They truly were sorry for what they did, but how many of you would honestly admit it still took you a while before you were able to get past that? Anybody? Yeah. Why? Because sometimes, sometimes that healing just takes a while. Sometimes that forgiveness, it just takes a while. It's not, it's not as easy as just waving a wand and making it all go away. Secondly, sometimes the wounds are deeper than we know. Sometimes the wounds are deeper than we know. For sometimes we, when we do something that really hurts someone, what we don't always realize is how that wound was already there. And we picked the scab of some place that they had already been hurt. And for some people, they've been through some real trauma in their life. And we don't understand that when we did this, it wasn't just about what we did. It was the reminder of all this other stuff that they've went through. So that wound goes a lot deeper. Does that make sense to you? And, and so sometimes people aren't able just to just quickly let it go and pretend like nothing ever happened. And then thirdly, this happens. Some people just won't let it go. Some people just won't let it go. Sometimes when we hurt people, they're not going to let it go. They're going to hold on to it. Now look at me. And there's not a whole lot you can do about that except put them in the hands of God. Because your part is to come with a heartfelt repentance. Their job before God is to understand how to forgive and receive. If it's possible, so long as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. Amen? Amen. Let me give you one more thought. I want to challenge you to seize repentance as a chance to live differently. Seize repentance as a chance to live differently. When someone lets you know or you observe by their response to you that you have hurt them or offended them, rather than receiving that information as a chance to shame yourself and how bad you are or how petty they are, rather than going to those places, what if, what if you use that incident as a window to your own life to ask this question, I wonder how I might need to change? I wonder how I might need to grow. I, I wonder what God might do in me if I gave him a chance. Lord, how can you use this to help make me a better man of God or woman of God? And how can you use this in my relationships to make sure that I don't repeat this behavior in this relationship or in other relationships? You see, sometimes... If we're honest, when we're, when we're repenting, we're not really repenting. We're asking for forgiveness. And there's a difference. See, asking for forgiveness is I want you to wash that away as if it never happened, but that doesn't really have put me in any responsibility. And a lot of times, and some of you have been in relationships like this, where, where somebody has come and they've asked for forgiveness and they want you to wash it away so they can go back and do the very same thing again and again and again and keep coming back and asking for forgiveness. That's not repentance. 
The word repentance has a meaning of a, of a changing of your mind or a changing of your direction. And, and, if, and if there's no change, there's not really repentance. That's why I love this. I saw this poster and I just thought this was so good. The best apology is change behavior. It's change behavior. You see, if, if I come to my wife and I say, I'm sorry that I did this, and then I come back and I'm sorry I did this, and I'm sorry I did this, and I just keep doing the same thing over and over again and just keep saying I'm sorry, am I really sorry? No. This isn't rocket science. I, I'm telling her, I want you to put up with this. That's not repentance, gang. Repentance is a brokenness before God that allows him to change who we truly are. Amen. Proverbs 28, 13. Read it with me. People who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. Circle those words and turn from them. It's not just about confessing. It's about turning from them. That's why I put the statement on your outline. People may be touched by a confession, but trust only comes with the change of life. I'm go ahead and invite you if you would Take your communion cups out and go ahead and open the bottom. Take your little piece of bread out and you can peel back the top to get that ready too. Just a moment. We want to we want to receive communion together after the song. But I want you to think this thought with me for a second. Throw that picture up on the screen. Last Thursday night at uh, Celebrate Recovery, we celebrated our, our two-year anniversary uh, for this program. And at the end of the worship service that we had, there was a, a cross here in the front. And we were invited to write something on a card that we needed to confess and leave with God. And it was a beautiful moment of trying to just self-reflect a little bit and say, Lord, what is it in me that you need to change? And it was so moving to watch person after person come and write on their card whatever it is that God is dealing with about and then took a hammer and a nail and we, we nailed those to the cross. And with God's help, we can leave them there. You see, one of the things you discover in recovery there really is something greater than forgiveness. The forgiveness is exhilarating. It feels so good to be washed clean. But can I tell you what's really satisfying? It's walking victoriously. It's, it's leaving that stuff behind and living a different life. You see, God not only wants to wash over you with his grace, he wants to fill you with his power. 
You know, what we discover in recovery is I, I can't do this out of my own strength. I, I can tell God a thousand times, I'm going to do better, I'm going to do better, I'm going to do better. But the reality is this, I can't do this. But God can. And when I allow the Spirit of God to possess me, I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. Amen. I don't know where you need to change today. I don't know where you need to change in your relationship with God or your relationships with other people, but today is your opportunity. These elements that you hold in your hand, this is such a beautiful thought. Jesus, the divine, became human so that we as the humans might begin to experience the divine. And that's your opportunity today. Whatever it is in your life, you need to let go and leave behind. Whatever change God needs to do. I, I want you in these next few moments just to confess that to him. But I want you to do one more thing. I don't want you to just confess it and ask for forgiveness. I, I want you to ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit so that you can live a different life. Father, you know the changes that we need to make in our life today. You, you know how um, the things that we need to let go of to be able to walk in a closer relationship with you. You know the things right now that we've done that have been offensive to you. You know the things that we were, we've sinned and fallen short. And, and God, we pray today for your grace and forgiveness to wash over us, for the power to let go. You know those who we've hurt, Lord. And you know how hard it is for us to be able to repent to other people and try to make things right. But Father, I pray you give us the strength and the courage to do what you modeled so well, and that is to, to step into another person's world and take ownership for how we've hurt them. And Lord, we confess to you that we don't have the power to do it ourselves. But you can do for us what we can't do. Paul wrote to the Romans and said, we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus our Lord. And I have no doubt, Lord, that today not only can you forgive us of what we've done, I believe you can give us the power and strength to walk differently. So Father, as we receive these elements in just a moment, I, I pray, Lord, that you would just flood over us with that grace and that mercy. But Lord, I pray one more thing. I pray that just like Paul said, I die daily. I pray that you would remind us every single day that when we wake up, that we would once again invite you to have control of our lives, that we would invite you to, 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 to take charge, that we would invite you to give us the strength to leave behind the things that we need to let go of and to take hold of all you are and let go of all who we have been. And I don't know we can make that commitment for a lifetime, but Lord, I've discovered we can do that when we do it one day at a time. So today, here we are. Meet us here with your grace, your mercy, and your power. In your precious name we pray. Amen.